friends, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason, and that is the talk show host, me, and that is the name of the show. I'm glad you joined me today, and I am going to jump right into something important, because if I forget at this hour, I'm in trouble the next. Uh, many of you know these two podcasts that are uh, 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 released like Wednesday and Friday are recorded back-to-back, so if I forget something that happens on Wednesday and say it in the second hour, you don't hear it till Friday, and that's too late. And that means uh, I give Miss Amy Hall a short shrift because uh, she is going to be live on Stand to Reason's Facebook on Wednesday, August 12th, so that's tomorrow for me and today for you. Oh, I'm sorry, August 2nd. At 1 p.m., so that's today for you, if you are listening right away to your—I should have said this last week, because some people are going to come home from work and then listen to it, and it'll be too late. Is that 1 p.m., really? Midday on Wednesday? All right. Uh, Pacific time. So um, if you would like to uh, interact with the great Amy Hall tomorrow— at 1 p.m., that would be August 2nd for uh, the calendar tomorrow from where I'm speaking today for you. If you're listening right away when you get this podcast, uh, you're welcome to do so. Just go to STR's Facebook, and uh, then you'll have all the information you need. I'm actually going to be doing something like this on Sunday, Meet the Teacher, and um, I don't actually see this on our— <clears throat> schedule here. I, I we It's almost full. 98 people weighed in out of 100 possible. Um, I think we're expanding on that if we're opening it up for more, but I'll be doing Meet the P- Teacher on Sunday. I actually don't have it in front of me, so I don't know. I just know it's Sunday uh, in the afternoon, and uh, doing something similar to what Amy's doing tomorrow, answering your questions, interacting with you. I'll be talking about Street Smarts, which releases September 12th. And, uh, of course, you can sign up in advance, and I encourage you to do that, um, to get a hold of the copy immediately when it releases. And, by the way, when you sign up in advance at Amazon.com for Street Smarts, they're going to send it out right away. But when they see all of those sign-ups, that builds some momentum. They even announce it if I'm if I'm doing well in my category as a as a uh, a, a new release and uh, then that just that's activity and that's good for the book because other people will hear about it and hopefully get the book so you can help me out uh, help yourself out by signing up for that book and uh, at str I'm sorry at amazon.com Look up K-O-U-K-L, Street Smarts. I don't know. Maybe if you just wrote in Street Smarts, you might get it. But there may be other titles that jump in there that have some similar wording, and then you have a hard time finding me. In any event, uh, that's what I will be discussing on Sunday at the Meet the uh, meet the Teacher. Um, maybe I'll find out uh, <laughs> after this first segment exactly where you could go to sign up for that if you're interested. But uh Go to our website, str.org. Maybe there's some information there for you. All right. And also this weekend, I am going to be teaching at the Higher Ground Summit in Bend, Oregon, Friday, August 4th. And uh, is that all day Friday or is that Saturday? Uh, anyway, there it is, Friday, August 4th. <clears throat> 
And I will uh, be uh, also at uh, Beach Cities Church in Huntington Beach on Saturday, August 12th, and Sunday, August 13th. I've done some work with them before. Looking forward to joining them again. All of this information is uh, at str.org slash events. That's the easiest way to get all the skinny on each of these. And uh, be glad to uh, have you show up at some of those events. So just saying right out of the gate that uh, that's uh, those events are happening. Don't miss Amy tomorrow, though, or today for you guys. Um, 1 p.m. Pacific time. Okay, now I'm going to read something that was sent to us by a listener, <clears throat> which troubled her. And it was a Reddit thread. I don't even know what that is, so I'm completely out of touch. But uh, there was a—and I'm going to read to you what she sent, and then I'll read the comment that she offered that, I think, apropos to the thread. And uh, apparently somebody decided to go to chat— GPT, which is like an AI site, right? I uh, know allegedly this is the claim. Chat GBT, GPT, um, and uh, have have them produce something for you, and I'll read it. This uh, what it was. Now I I know what Chat GPT is, and it's a bit alarming to me <clears throat> because it's a place you can go and have. A computer write something for you, even a term paper, and or give you information um, that is uh, th- that that the kind of information you want. Okay, uh, most of you probably are aware of it. I actually just found out about Chat GPT, which is a function of artificial intelligence AI. I just found out about it just a couple of months ago. But it's pretty amazing what it's able to do, and it, I think, mostly bodes ill for the future, although there may be some advantages to it. Okay, in any event, um, here it is. Um, this piece, according to the person who sent it to us, was uh, a post in what she says she believes to be a Catholic Facebook group posted by a priest and uh, she wanted to pass it on to us because she found it rather alarming. So here's how the post starts. The author of the post, who is identified as R slash trans. Hmm. Now, I, I, apparently this is a person who's trans, and though she identifies this person as a priest. So she has background information I don't have. She just gave us the post. But be that as it may, here's what it says. I was feeling sad today, so I asked ChatGPT to write a fake biblical passage about Jesus accepting trans people. Um, so apparently this is a person who is trans, feeling bad in general, and is hoping to have his heart lifted by hearing something false from ChatGPT about what Jesus didn't say, but <laughs> about accepting trans people. But by the way, let me just say something here. Well, I've got a lot of, to interject, but it, 
right out of the gate here. Um, I don't know where this person got the idea that Jesus doesn't accept trans, trans people. I don't know. Now, of course, I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. I know probably what this person has in mind, that um, uh, that Christians think trans is something bad, and God doesn't like it, and therefore Jesus wouldn't love trans people. That's the way they're translating our message, apparently. And so this apparently trans person, it's in the the person's ID line there, wants to feel good, so he, he wants to hear some fiction about from ChatGPT about Jesus loving trans people. Jesus loves trans people, okay? You don't need ChatGPT to tell you that. That does not mean that everything about trans and the movement and the culture is something good that Jesus would approve of. God came, Jesus came to this world to save sinners. <laughs> we love because he first loved us, okay? He, he gave his life for broken, sinful people. This is an evidence of his love for broken, sinful people. That doesn't mean he loves the sinfulness. He loves the person caught in sin. So already, right out of the gate, there's a kind of a mischaracterization, <clears throat> a misreading of the Christians. Um, I, I hope this is the way the Christians are characterizing their view, although maybe not in every case. But I'm just letting you know, Jesus accepts trans people just like he accepts every other individual that comes to him on his terms. Okay? All right. So, then the piece says, here's what I came up with. Now, when he says, here's what I came up with, apparently when he went to chat GPT and asked it to write a fake biblical passage about Jesus accepting trans people, this is what it said. Now, before I read this, I just want to offer a qualification, because um, the people on our team, what, Derek, right, I think Derek, went to ChatGPT and gave it the same kind of instructions and was not able to get anything from ChatGPT that affirmed trans. Yet here is something, and I'll read it in a moment, that supposedly came from ChatGPT. Now, what Amy suspects is that this didn't come from ChatGPT. This was something somebody made up and claimed it was ChatGPT. In any event, here's what this piece said. And so this is the fake biblical passage about Jesus accepting trans people. And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him. In quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged, for my spirit and my body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, My child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves. For they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's kingdom, 
or my father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved, for God looks not upon the body but the heart. All right, so that's the what allegedly chat GPT offered. Now, I was having a conversation with some people recently because there are a number of um, uh, books you can read that are out there <clears throat> in which Jesus is revealing himself in word. They're not biblical books. There are other kinds of books. Uh, some of them are occultic, and some have come from other people, and this is allegedly Jesus speaking. There's even the kind of Christian version, Jesus Calling, which is a social movement. You know, dozens of books, uh, unfortunately published by Zondervan, in my view, unfortunately published by anyone, actually. I do not think the Jesus Calling approach is good and has uh, ignominious origins. I won't go into that right now, but I'm just simply saying, here is somebody talking for Jesus. Sarah, whatever her name is, doing devotionals where it's she's she's uh, using the foil of Jesus speaking in the first person to the Christian. Well, if you study the Gospels, and if you're a student of the Gospels, and you read the Gospels regularly, as we all should, if we're followers of Christ, we better know what Christ said, and hopefully understand what he means. Jesus has a voice. He has a way of talking. Okay? Um, and when you read these other things where Jesus is speaking, you can immediately see that that isn't the way Jesus talks. I don't know if there's a, a, any place where Jesus replies, my child, my child. You know where you hear my child, my son, my daughter? You hear it in Hollywood, in movies made by about religious people who talk this way. But this isn't the way you see Jesus talking. Now, there maybe there's one instance where he says that. I don't I'm not sure. I'd have to look more closely. But generally speaking, this characterization of Jesus' voice is not is is this sounds odd to my ears, and I'm familiar with Jesus. And same thing with Jesus calling. And other things where Jesus is speaking. It's in the person's voice who's writing it, or how they imagine in some kind of extend, uh, extravagant religious sense Jesus might be talking, but that just isn't the way he talked. All right. And um, not only that, it isn't this passage doesn't reflect the content of what Jesus would say. Now, we've got a a qualifier, obviously. I was feeling sad today, so I asked ChatGPT to write a fake biblical passage about Jesus accepting trans people. By the way, there's very little in this piece where Jesus is responding that has anything to do with being trans, except for the implication here or the insinuation that there is a division between spirit and body. Now, of course, a trans person isn't divided between spirit and body. They're divided between mind and body. Their body says one thing, their mind says another. And 
isn't it interesting that in this piece, at least there is this acknowledgement of a problem, that this isn't good. Indeed, when, when, when people talk about themselves, don't they often say, I am a woman in a man's body or a man in a woman's body? That statement itself identifies a, a self-acknowledgement that something is amiss, something is broken here, something is not right. Now, the standard way to understand that in the past has been that the mind is believing false things about the self. The body is telling the truth. The mind is amiss. And therefore, the difficulty, the distortion in the mind was what was being addressed. Classically, in counseling, however. Of course, that's anathematized now. Now the mind's just fine for today. And if the mind changes the mind later on, then the mind's just fine for tomorrow. But whatever the mind says must be right, and the body, which doesn't change naturally, it's male or female, because human beings are cisgender by nature, that's how they reproduce. They are binary in their sexuality. <clears throat> I should say not cisgender. Cisgender is when a person believes with their gender that is the same as their physical body. So I would be considered cisgender because I believe I'm male and my body matches that, okay? But on human beings, they're binary. It's one or the other, male or female. Are there exceptions? Sure, there's always exceptions to everything. You don't base your principles and your rules or your way of dealing with things based on exceptional circumstances, but on standard circumstances, okay? Um, hard cases make bad policy. That's the uh, aphorism coming out of, you know, political thinking, and that's true. Okay, we got to work with the rank and file here. But uh, when, when, so there's an acknowledgement that there's something amiss here in this chat GPT, alleged chat GPT response. And then Jesus is looking upon her with kindness replying, my child, that came from Hollywood, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves. Okay, well, I, I can't object to that because I, well, it's, being unified is good. That's wholeness, okay? Um, but of course, with trans, the way to get uni unity is to, is not to make the mind match the body, but try to make the body match the mind, but they can't, that can't be done because sex uh, change. It's not, let me put it this way, it's not possible to change your sex. It is impossible. All you can do is mutilate your body to kind of look like the opposite sex or the sex that you identify at uh, with at, emotionally. Um, Striving for unity is a good thing, but people are moving in the wrong direction to accomplish that, okay? For they who strive for unity within themselves shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. What the heck is that? Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman. Really? As all are one in spirit. Is that what the New Testament teaches? Now, in the church, there is neither male nor female in terms of hierarchy of value, but that doesn't mean that there is no gender. 
because women women are given directives in scripture and men are given directive that directives that are unique to their station as male and female or husbands or wives in the body of Christ the gates of my father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved okay in isolation okay i get that not too controversial for god looks not upon the body but the heart now i'm not exactly sure what that means now there is a comment by saul not saul samuel regarding the choosing of a new king to replace saul and he's looking at um jesse's sons and here's some that look great as noble examples of manhood that um, Samuel think is going to be God's choice, but God says, look at God doesn't look at, I'm sorry, God tells Samuel that he doesn't look on the externals, but on the internals. He looks in the heart. And then, of course, David, the young ruddy boy in the fields watching the sheep, he's the one who's chosen and anointed as king. Okay, so there's a certain sense which we understand that God doesn't, God looks at the heart, not at the externals, but at the internals. But, but it's not referring to body versus mind, heart, mind, where the body is one sex and the mind thinks it's another. But that's the way this is being communicated here. Um, when I started reading this, I was actually talking with Amy Hall, who handed it to me. I immediately thought, not of the Gospels, but of the Gospel of Thomas. Because the information communicated here comports better with Gnosticism, a second-century heretical characterization of Christianity, than it does with Christianity. This is Gnostic. The deepest truths of my Father's creation, that's Gnostic. There's neither man nor woman, all one in the Spirit, that's Gnostic. Okay? God looks not on the body, but the heart, that's Gnostic, because in Gnosticism there was a dualism between the physical and the non-physical. That which is spirit, non-physical is good, that which is physical is bad. I come to you estranged, for my spirit and body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Well, the spirit and body being separate things, in that the spirit is good and the body is bad, that's Gnostic. So there's all kinds of Gnosticism mixed in here. Now, you may not be completely familiar with that because you've not studied it, all right? Let me just tell you, though, that Gnosticism in the second century came from a Neoplatonic influence that was there in the first century and began to influence the church, and writers like John spoke against it implicitly in the ideas. Because remember, if the spirit is good and the body is bad, and God became a man in Jesus with a physical body, well, that couldn't be right, according to Gnosticism, because the body's evil. So Jesus just appeared to have a physical body, according to Gnosticism. And the word, the Greek word for appear is doser, or maybe that's Latin, I don't know, but docetism was the 
heresy that grew out of that. And that's why John says in 1 John, for anyone, any spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, or I should say anyone who does not confess that is not of God, but is of the Antichrist. Why does he talk that way? Because that was a teaching of Gnosticism, that God could not become a man in the flesh, that is, physical body. You deny that, you're you're off the reservation, as John's saying, because that's Gnostic, okay? So so for those who, been, who are familiar with some of these heretical influences in the culture that began to seep into um, Christianity, even as early as the late first century, you recognize the Gnostic tendencies in these comments here. And um, in fact, I was with Melissa Doherty um, uh, this last weekend with CIA, Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, and a bunch more, Frank Turk and his crowd. It was fabulous, just fabulous. But Melissa's focus, her focus now, she came out of the New Age, she has a wonderful YouTube channel, Melissa Doherty, and she lives there in Albuquerque where we had this event. She goes to the Calvary Chapel there. I'll talk more about that next segment. And um, and her focus now is on New Thought. Uh, new Thought is not the same as New Age. New Age is akin to Hinduism. New Thought, which is penetrating the Church in lots of ways, is more Gnostic. And that's her big concern right now. In fact, we should have Melissa on before too long just to spend some time talking about these concepts, because you will you will be amazed at how much the heretical um, uh, elements of Gnosticism have crept into the Church in subtle fashion, okay? Um, what we now call New Thought, and she can explain that, but that's all over, right here. Here it is. Now, it's not just that there was this post out there with apparently a trans person who's part of the Catholic Church and apparently a priest, according to the testimony of the person who sent this to us, that would be wanting to have their feelings lifted up about being trans by hearing a false characterization of Jesus supporting trans people, and then doing it in all this Gnostic language, which probably did not come from ChatGP. What is it, Chat, chat uh, GPT? But it was written by somebody, and here's all this Gnosticism in here. The postscript is that the person sending it to us was appalled by the responses that people gave to this piece, and uh, I'll read what she wrote. She said, "When I read this, that piece I just read to you, allegedly from Chat GPT, I was shocked." not only by the content of the post itself, so she saw the problems, but also by the comments. There wasn't a single person in the so-called Christian community that was reflected here in this thread who seemed to be even remotely troubled by the thought of putting words into Jesus' mouth. Well, that's because there's a whole bunch of people who do that even in evangelicalism. That's why they weren't troubled or adding to the Bible. Far from it. Everyone seemed to be praising the idea of either this being God speaking through AI, right? AI understanding God more than humans do, 
this being this message being 100% what Jesus would have said that's uh in she puts that in quotes apparently that was a comment 100% what Jesus would have said or even trying to write God's word to include this passage from first glance this looks to me like cleverly disguised false doctrine that's right and i know there are actual places in the bible that contradict the message slash affirmation the original poster was trying to procure made me think of matthew 24 24 where jesus is talking about false prophets and it's discouraging to see just how many people are willing to be deceived by this sort of thing while i'm sure she closes here jesus wouldn't have attacked a trans person for coming to him with this kind of question this ai response just seems wrong on so many levels and i would like to hear your thoughts well there you have it and i've been sharing my thoughts you're right it is wrong on so many levels there is nothing in here that reflects anything that taken as a whole is remotely christian it's thick with gnostic concepts and um and of course the the writer here the original r slash trans who authored this piece um acknowledges it's a fake biblical passage but a whole bunch of people that identify as christians seem to think it's great and that maybe ai figured out something that christians reading god's word can't figure out that god's just great with this this piece that reads like it just came out of the gospel of thomas which is gnostic all right so um you know um how shall i hope to enter the kingdom as if right you can't enter the kingdom when you're struggling with some kind of aberration mental disorder sinful condition everybody who is seeking to enter the kingdom is struggling with something mentally emotionally spiritually morally we all are we are all broken people every single one of us which is why we need to be rescued but we are not going to be rescued by a false message that somehow seems to affirm and um, treat as normal and appropriate and good just the way you are some example of the brokenness that came into the world as a result of human sin and gender dysphoria is one of those to kind of paraphrase Jesus I'm not paraphrasing I'm actually quoting but applying it a little differently than he was at the time in Matthew 19 when he was asked about um, marriage and divorce he starts to answer his question about marriage with gender and the Genesis chapter 1 and the original order of things that is the good way that God made things he starts out by saying have you not read have you not read that from the beginning God made them male and female so Jesus is affirming Genesis 1 where in the original order human being sexuality was binary 
and that that being cisgender, that is understanding your sex and having your mind and your body unified in that sense, is normal and healthy and good. That's where he's starting. And then he builds his understanding of marriage based on that. And he does that by going to chapter 2 of Genesis. So, so this isn't, there's nothing mysterious here about God's view. And why is it that a bunch of people on this Christian chat board, whatever, Reddit thread, are, are somehow applauding this as great insight and an AI has more insight on this than Christians? Where are Christians getting their insight from? They're getting it from God's Word. Now, of course, it's always possible to misunderstand what God is saying about something, but we just have to look closer. But I'm going to tell you something. It ain't tricky on this issue, because Jesus himself makes this comment in Matthew 19, and you don't need the incarnate Son of God to know that from the beginning they have been. Let's get non-spiritual about this. Just leave God out. They have been male and female from the beginning. No, duh. That's the only way to be fruitful and multiply. The culture's confused. No reason for us to be confused about this. Okay. So, anyway, there there you go. I hope um, this was helpful to the author of this post, or I should say email that sent to us, and uh, just be forewarned. Dear friends, there, there, there is so much unjustified confusion on issues like this. Here I am, I'm opening my Bible, and there's the yellow post-it that I put in there a couple years ago. Faithfulness is not theologically complicated. It's got to be three or four years ago, because I've been speaking on that topic for at least two years now. In other words, I took the concept and then went back to the text and look at abortion, religious pluralism, gender, marriage, sex, those five easy issues, right? They're not easy. They're easy biblically. The text is not ambiguous in any way on those issues. It's crystal clear for those who have eyes to see and are willing to take God at His Word. Now, if you're not willing to take God at His Word, then you're going to be satisfied with some chat GPT fake biblical passage. It's going to sound more appealing to you than God's actual Word to mankind. Which Word, by the way, comports with common sense? No duh. Male, female. Be fruitful, multiply. Takes a mom and a dad to do that. Man will leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man separate. That's Jesus, Matthew 19. All right, let's take a break and come back to your calls on Stand to Reason. Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics, but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR outpost. STR Outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum in their local church. 
By becoming an Outpost Director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at str.org. Hey friends, would you like to be encouraged throughout your week with timely, relevant content meant to bolster your knowledge, wisdom, and character? Or maybe you have a desire to be connected with other like-minded Christians from around the world. If so, then you need to follow Stand to Reason on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Not only will you be able to interact with other Stand to Reason followers, but you'll also stay up to date and informed on our latest resources and events. In our current culture, it's important to have something of value to break up your social media feed. So just visit str.org and find the links to all of our social media platforms at the bottom of the homepage. Okay, friends, uh, just clarification. There's a... um reason I didn't have any more detail about the meet the teacher, because if you want to meet the teacher, it's just not open to anybody. You have to take three STRU courses to qualify for any of the meet the the teacher segments, and all um, STRU speakers, teachers, trainers have those segments available, and then you'll get an email from us say, you qualify. Now, if you want to do, if you want to be part of meet the teacher, all you got to do is take three or more STRU courses. And then there's a sign-up limit, because I just realized the platform that we use has a limit of 100 seats. And once 100 people sign up, that's it. So, sorry, you can't join us on Sunday. Um, And last I heard, there were two seats open, but I suspect those might be done with. So we got 98 to 100 people already signed up for Sunday. So the encouragement is, Go to str.org, uh, check out STRU, and uh, take some courses. <laughs> and then you will be invited to sign up for a Meet the Teacher segment. And uh, my suggestion is you respond quickly to get the seats that are available. All right. By the way, this is the 1st of August. And uh, for the last few years, maybe three or four years, uh, we have been doing something special uh, during August. And uh, we call it Be One of the 100. The, the, the most special people in our organization, and in, in, I say this quite candidly, not everybody's the same to us. The people that are closer to us and help us to really make a difference on a regular basis are the people we, we applaud the most because we're here because of them. They're called strategic partners. And uh, many of you listening will have heard people call in and say, hey, by the way, before I ask my question and get into my comments, I want you to know I'm a strategic partner. And I want others to know I'm I'm a strategic partner, and I want them to sign up and become a strategic partner because a strategic partner is central to what we do at STR, and they are people who have pledged a monthly gift of some sort. Uh, bottom line here, $30, to uh, be part of our ongoing support ministry, if you want to call it that way, our cadre of monthly um, supporters that um, that every single month give a certain amount to 
to be a foundation for us of donors that stand to reason. Okay, now we are the monthly pledge amount. We're encouraging you to think about if you are not already a strategic partner is $30. Where where they get that that number? Because this is our 30th year of working um, at Standard Reason. This is our, we started 30 years ago, May 1st, and all this year we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. And so we're just suggesting if you are a, you want to become a strategic partner, be part of that inside group. Um, a pledge of $30 or more this month would make you one of the 100 new strategic partners we're seeking uh, to have on board, invite on board this month. If you want to do that, uh, let's see, go to str.org slash partner. Gives you all the information there. And by the way, if you sign up this month as a new strategic partner, we're going to send you an autographed copy of my brand new book, Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. That will be officially released September 12th. And so uh, as you sign up this month, you know, when it's released, we'll send it right out to you. Uh, You will also be, and this is more important than getting the book, you'll be a backbone of our work uh, at STR, and you'll enable believers of all ages to be Christian ambassadors wherever they go. So I'm just kicking off my invitation to you to be one of the 100, str.org slash partner, and there you can join. $30 or more a month, and you're on the team. Okay, love to have you part of that. Let's go to uh, Utah and Lane. Hello, Lane. Thanks for waiting. Hi, Greg. Appreciate it. Sure. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, I called in a few weeks ago with a question about the effects of ceremonial uncleanliness on Jesus. Uh But the the caller before me had a question about um, what worship should look like. And, And in this case, the conversation was specifically about worship music. Right. And I guess that's what I want to explore. I'm one of the music leaders at our church. And so <laughs> this first question might be a simple yes or no question. Uh-huh. Am, am I getting too hung up on using the word worship to mean the music time at church? Because I'll be honest, it, it sort of bothers me a little bit, and I think it kind of sells short the, rich, the richness of, of worship that we could find in other activities. Well, well. yes. I, no, I, I think you have a point there. And uh, it says in Romans chapter 12, the first couple verses, uh, therefore, you know, because of the mercies of God, uh, um, how does it be? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think it says right after this is your spiritual means of worship. So um, there is there is a sense in which our lives are to be lived as a as an expression of honor to God, of worship to God. Okay, so there certainly is that much more expansive sense of the word, and that ought to be uh, focused in on inappropriate times um, in our in our congregational life, or in in the way uh, the the way things are addressed. Worship is addressed at the Sunday service. By the way, I I, I know that when they. When they ask for offerings, oftentimes that's also mentioned. Here's another way to worship God, and I think that's appropriate. Um, but when we 
generally when we talk about worship, the standard understanding of what we are referring to is the time of music and singing in which we worship God in that standard fashion. And our comments, or my comments in the past, have been to the concerns I have about how that's done. So I certainly agree that it is more expansive than the the so-called worship time, music, the concept of worship is more expansive, but also at the same time, um, I think when we use the term worship, especially when I'm using it with regards to my concerns, it's that particular slice of time where music um, is and a, and a leader are leading the congregation in uh, in singing type worship, right? Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe I am getting a little bit too hung up on on how that that word gets used. Um, is there is there are there things within the local church that would seem to be neglected just because we use the word worship to mean music? Well, I never really thought of it that way. To be honest with you, Lane, I I, I don't think we're not talking about all these other means of worship. The scripture doesn't really talk about all these other things like either, except for the, the Romans passage, which I'm turning to right now, just so I get it right. I think it's a—so uh, it, it isn't like it needs a lot of—I don't know that it needs a lot of, um, of uh, you know, exposition. Okay, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, etc. So, got those things out of order, but you see the point. We worship is worship is a period of time where we are um, ascribing worth to God with our voice, the worship time, but we are also worshiping God by offering our bodies as a sacrifice. A living sacrifice, and there you're catching this idea that part of the Old Testament system of broad worship was the sacrifices that were offered, and uh, and the sacrifice was part of their their cult of worship, as it were, and therefore kind of hitchhiking on that notion. Paul is saying we ought to be doing that after fashion with our bodies, giving ourselves fully to God in service, to the body of Christ, etc., and this is another way of worshiping. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, I think that makes sense. I think maybe I do get a little, a little hung up on it, but um, yeah, that, that whole idea, that passage from Romans, Romans is wonderful, that passage yeah. from Romans kind of right. encompasses all the different things that we can, um, that we can do. Yeah. Um, Follow up if you have if you have another moment. Sure, um, I got a bunch of moments. <laughs> love it. Um, so, as one of the worship leaders at our church, um, you know, I we we really try to focus on making sure the congregation is involved and and not it's not just a it's not just a performance. Right. Um, so, are you saying that when you're worshiping, you're leading worship, you're part of the worship team? Are you watching to see if other people are actually following? Well, and see, that's the question that I have. Um, I do, because I, I do. I do think it's important that that there's a you know, communal engagement within within that moment. Uh-huh. Um, as a worship leader, sometimes I've, I, I struggle wondering: is is this really happening? How, what is it supposed to look like when people 
or worshiping? Is that even something that I can determine by sight? Well, I think so. Um, in some measure, I realize that uh, even thinking of Sunday when I was at church with my wife, and she's standing next to me, and music is being played, and songs are being sung. Uh, one of the first one or second one, I surrender all. You know that verse. Now, I don't actually <laughs> voice those words, because they're not genuine. I mean, because I'm not surrendering all. I know that. And uh, maybe others are genuinely singing that. And I, I just skipped the phrases or words that are not authentic to me in that moment, you know. And this is why I think when the music is about something about the individual doing the worship, you run into a problem there. I'm not faulting the song, I Surrender All. I'm just simply saying that in some cases, if it's about me, I can't, you know, I can't uh, sing that. When it's about God and features of God's character, personality, and His care for us, I can always sing those because they're always true no matter how I'm feeling. So uh, my point really here, though, in bringing that up is there I was standing there not mouthing the words, or not singing the words, but I was, I was in my heart, I was still worshiping God, though from the external, I don't know what people would think. I'm standing with my head bowed and my lips aren't moving, you know? So I think there are times when people could be worshiping in their heart, and it's a genuine act of worship, even though you don't see much happening on the outside, all right? But I think when you have a whole congregation that's looking at the worship team and glancing up at the words, and a couple of them are moving their mouths, this it's something's probably wrong. If people aren't themselves engaged in the process, especially if it seems like they are focusing on the in the process and focusing outside of themselves, then I'm wondering if there's worship going on. And uh, I mean, I've I've seen, you know, I've talked about this before on the air. Uh, a worship leader starts singing a song. It's not a song that people know. The words are up there, and so they're doing their best to kind of mouth the words, but they don't know the melody, partly because there is no melody. And uh, so maybe it's a 7-11 song. You get the same lines, 11 words, or 7 words 11 times, I think, the way it goes. We had one of those on Sunday. They kept saying the same line over and over again. Now, I, I kind of think there's some virtue to repeating phrases, that's what choruses are in standard hymns. But, you know, this just went on and on and on and on, and it's, it gets a little mindless. And so I'm not sure if that's really so helpful. But at least you're getting people in a rhythm of saying the same thing. But if there's no melody or very little melody, and people aren't familiar with the words or whatever, and or the worship leader is singing the melody in a, you know, a boutique version, you know, he's just kind of doing his own thing. Well, people are just left stranded there, and they're not being led in worship because it's obvious that they're not really worshiping. They may be trying to, but there's all kinds of distractions coming from the stage that's keeping them from, in a certain sense— losing themselves or or, or be, becoming—I'm not sure if that's the right word, but, you know, just getting into it and focusing in on the Lord. And times when that happens, when I'm singing a song, I'm worshiping, and then I'm not 
I'm 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 into the worship experience before the Lord, and then, and then I hear the worship leader go whoa 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 hey you know or do one of their little things whatever that's called one of those things. Um, I'm I'm shocked out of my moment of reverie or whatever with the Lord, and I'm aware of the worship leader, and so I'm just taken right out of worship at that moment. I do think that it is possible to have a general sense whether the audience is following you or not. And I did notice that even in our own congregation, there was some of the music, the singing was feeble, and then when there was a, a, a very recognizable melodic song that people were familiar with, that all of a sudden you could hear this increase in volume and participation as people are entering in. So I, I think, yes, the question about... Um, whether you can tell if they're entering in, I, I do think that you can, by and large. It's not fa- infallible, but I, I do think it's something you could do. What yeah, do you think? Yeah. What do well, you think? I, I mean, you stand up there, and you, you're looking at the audience. Well, I think I think that, I, that by and large, is, is prob- probably right. My concern is I don't want to manipulate somebody into something that they're not, kind of like you were saying before, that they're not willing to say or confess or or you know ex- express just because those are the words you know that are on the screen sure. or whatever and that's and that's one thing and I appreciate that you said that very much because I think that there's there's a lot of music that's done today that focuses on on the individual and we're asking congregations to to say things that they can't or shouldn't say which is you know at at were at the I guess at the best uncomfortable at the worst heretical so yeah it um, depends on the content I I found in some cases though that in many cases what, what you're describing is when we are singing about ourselves and our feelings the we're not reflecting the feelings we're having the purpose of the song is to get us kind of whipped up enough so we start feeling the feelings that we're talking about right. and that's where I get uncomfortable maybe manipulation is a strong strong word or too strong but it's something in that category um, I also wonder why is it now this might be temperamental it might be just me but when I come in um, into a service in the morning I don't want to start out jumping around yet the opening song is almost always uh, one that is meant to get everybody roused up and it's all this big like John Philip Sousa you know ba ba da ba ba wow everybody jumping <laughs> clap your hands and think oh you're not screaming loud enough come on people wake up you know well that to me that's not helpful okay i would i would rather start more slowly with something mellow that bring that ushers us in you know as as a public speaker the the and I just taught public speaking last weekend at CIA I tell the people you know your first 60 seconds are critically important and you want to have your opening down cold because what you do is you set a tone for the rest of the talk and part of that is you're winning your audience's confidence so they're relaxed I think something like that um, applies to a worship time where you are you you are starting out into a worship experience and there's a there is an appropriate way to ramp up for that it seems to me and it isn't like John Philip Sousa out of the gate you know that isn't what it's supposed to be now a little later you might get more robust or expressive but um, I'd rather have them start um, more slowly 
at the beginning to kind of get warmed up a little bit. But like I said, that may just be my temperament. Characteristically, though, and you know this from your experience, usually things start out a little aggressive, wouldn't you say? Well, I think that's probably a standard pattern yet. And, yeah. and, and in a little bit to toward that end, I actually like to start with Scripture every time we start it. That I, that I'm like a reading, you mean? Like a reading? Yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. a call to worship just from yeah. Scripture. I don't think sure. you're wrong with Scripture. What, what so. denomination is your church? We any? are a non-denominational, kind of multi-site church. Is it Reformed? Uh, not, no, it's okay. not Reformed. Now, I only say that because a lot of Reformed churches are going to start out with Scripture, it's just their standards, the way they do things, and they get rolling, and then they have some hymns and the like. But but uh, anyway, the music's coming up here. I was glad to talk with you, Lane, and um, I'm glad we were able to chat, given the fact that you're a, a worship leader, you're part of a team, and maybe this is how have a salutary effect on your own approach to worship. All right? Thanks so much for all you do. All right, buddy. Good talking to you. Greg Kokel here at Stand to Reason. Go out and give them heaven, my friends. Bye-bye now.